0: What's going on everybody, and happy Saturday, and welcome to our second episode of the Back to Campus series. I'm your host today, Brandon Lagori, and today we really aren't necessarily focusing on one school itself.
1: So instead, what we aim to do today is hit the books on what modern football has become and some of the takes we see, hear, and read about on the daily. We want to educate ourselves and you guys as listeners who live, breathe, eat, and sleep football 24-7.
0: And today we have a very special guest to join our podcast on this Saturday. Today we have Zachary Garton to discuss some of these tapes. And he inspired us to do this podcast from his initial tweet. First off, Zach, how's everything going, buddy? Uh, we're all good. You know, it's a good Saturday. Got up, got
2: a little got a little yoga in in the morning. And now we're here recording, talking about football. And I can I can never be mad when we're talking about ball. You do yoga? Yeah, man. It's good for me. It gets me centered at the beginning of the day. It gets me more flexible. I just started doing it because I got fat and out of shape after I stopped playing ball. So um, <laughs> yoga is actually really good. It gets more flexible, gets, it's a good core wa- workout. Like today I was doing like, I was doing abs like crazy. I'm like, I'm, my stomach hurts right now.
1: <laughs> you gotta send me some of the exercises I needed too. I got I got a gut coming in too.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely worth it. I do like yoga with Adrian or whatever. It's on YouTube, but just doing, doing like her 30 day like thing. It's fantastic so far. It's really quick and easy. I'm only on there for like 30 minutes, but I'm getting a workout in every day, so. It's something to start with.
1: So that's great. And let's let's start off this. Sorry. So your initial tweet goes like this, and I replied to this, and we'll get a little bit more later on. But your tweet goes, "What's one take you have on football that you think isn't talked about enough?" And this is basically our main question and our main discussion of the podcast today. You started off by saying you think quarterbacks are overvalued in football. Now explain that to our listeners.
2: So this is kind of, it's not my completely my original thought. I've listened, there's plenty of smarter people out there that have talked about this a little bit. Um, one guy, if you've ever been in Panthers Twitter, the Panthers Twitter sphere out there, there's a guy called Marxist Film that's kind of talked about this and how he values quarterbacks and stuff. And I've actually drawn a lot from that just because I really like how he talks about the game. But um, when it comes to quarterbacks, right? We look at the NFL, there's a, first off, there's a salary cap. There's a limit to how much you can spend on your roster, Right. And when a certain player takes up too much of that cap, he becomes overvalued. So we're talking about quarterbacks now. Quarterbacks, yes, they're important. Most important player on the field, 100%. Like they account for maybe 10 to 15% of the success of a play on the field, right? But we forget sometimes there's still 21 other players. You need your offensive linemen to be good. You need good wide receivers. You need good running backs to have a really, really good offense. And you need good defenders to have a good team, right? Like we talk about defense wins championships. It still holds true today. We saw that in the Super Bowl this past year. They had elite linebackers, they had really good corners, they had good safeties coming up through the draft. They had a great pass rush. Like those things really won them that Super Bowl. I know we talk about Tom Brady being great and all, but every single time he's won the Super Bowl, he's usually had a good defense. And that's not like a detriment to him. He's a fantastic quarterback. But the fact that they've had a good they've had a good defense is part of the reason they won the super bowl. It's part of the reason they win games. So, and we've seen below average quarterbacks make it to the super. Bowl. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo make it to the super bowl two years ago and almost win it. We had Rex Grossman back in the day, make it to the super bowl. Like you can win with bad quarterbacks. And I'm not saying you can win super bowls. It's still important to have a really good quarterback. So don't take that out of things, but like, for example, Patrick Mahomes could be the best quarterback in the NFL and still be overpaid at 50 million a year. I understand his contract is different. Like he gets different incentives and all that stuff. It's, the, the, con, the um, salary cap is weird. Contracts are weird. There's all this legal jargon and stuff. But just like from a purely like money-based and salary cap standpoint, if we're looking at like just like just plain money-wise, if you're a quarterback is taking like 25% of the cap, you're pr- probably overpaying him just because you can't build your team very well otherwise, unless you're building straight through the draft. And the draft is a crap shoot most of the time anyways. That's
1: true. The draft is a little bit like stock market. And as everyone knows you're at me next. I'm a big Tom Brady hater, but I mean this goes to his knowledge because he knows he needs to have a good defense in order to succeed in this league. Everybody needs a good defense in order to succeed in this league. and Could this be part of the reason why he's not one of the most high, high highest paid players in the NFL during his career?
2: I think that's part of the reason and I also think part of it, I mean, there's some probably shady stuff side dealings like I, I can't believe that I'm pretty sure in New England they hired his like firm to be their like consultants on physical fitness and stuff so, so I'm pretty sure some of that side cash was going through there I mean that's just purely like off the top of the brain um his type shit but I mean yeah he was never a top paid quarterback and I think part of that is because he knows and Belichick I mean we talk shit about him being the GM all the time but I mean he was able to keep Salary cap, salary cap hit down partly because he talked to him like, hey, we need you to have a lower salary cap so we can build a good team, so we can get these role players and stuff and make sure that we have a solid team all around us. So I think that that's part of it. And then there's a reason he went to Tampa Bay. Like Tampa Bay had a good roster before he got there. They added some pieces of course. They got some d guys through the draft, adding Tristan worse adding, um, their safety they have. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but um, he was he was a really Winfield Jr. Yeah, Winfield Jr. He was a big part of their success last year, but they had a good team already. It was just the fact that James Winston threw 30 interceptions the year before <laughs> that they weren't like playoff level. So him coming in, him just being that steady force in the pocket. I mean, he didn't even play that great all the time, but he was still like an above average quarterback at least. And that got them to a Super Bowl. And like he, he still had plenty of really, really high moments really, really great plays. But I mean in those last two games in the Super Bowl and in, in the um NFC championship, I don't think he played outstanding. I don't say I'm not saying he was bad. In the NFC championship, that, that that second half was not great. Or was it the first half? One of those halves was not great. But I mean he wasn't he was just he was above average and they won a Super Bowl because their roster was really good. And I think that that might come, for the example, of the Chiefs. That could come and bite the Chiefs in the ass later, when they can't build a good roster because those cap hits are finally hitting in. Luckily, that cap hit is pushed down the win- down the, down the way, so they still have that wind now window. But I'm really curious to see if that hits them later, when his cap hit is 50 million a year, because eventually it's gonna be that. So it's, it's gonna be very interesting to see. And you know, I just think that we overvalue what a quarter brings people because he accounts for 25 percent plus of the cap but he accounts for maybe 15 at most percent of the success on the field just because there's 22 other guys on the field at all times 21 other guys on the field at all times
0: so in today's nfl you know zach we see a lot of you know dominant wideouts right deandre hopton stefan did and, and you know i can go on and on and on but you know the problem with 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 two, a ton of iloa last year was that there were some games where he didn't really have his number one number two even number three wideouts throughout the whole throughout the in the entire game so my question to you is wide receivers are quickly becoming a replaceable asset similar to the downfall of running backs as well so explain that to our uh podcast listeners
2: so this is a take that i'm not sure i totally did i think like, there's parts of it i agree with and parts of it not the reason this was kind of came out to being is i don't think it's the fact that they're being devalued like running backs even though i do think having a good running back is can be valuable um i think it's more the fact that there's just so many good ones out there right like if you aren't able to grab one that can separate nowadays it's probably because you're just not really great at evaluating that talent and grabbing those guys into your um grabbing your guys into your thing because there's teams that are like four or five deeper receiver nowadays like it's just there's a lot of teams that have really solid second or third receivers that you can go grab and free agents and stuff for a solid amount and while having a guy that can separate you see with the dolphins last year you saw with the patriots last year as well having a guy that gets consistently separate is very very important it helps your quarterback be more confident be more comfortable in the pocket because he knows he's going to have a guy that gets open it's like it's a lot more of this mental thing versus like a schematic thing and I think this take is more born out of the fact that there are so many good receivers in the NFL versus um, the fact that they're replaceable. I think once you get a good one, you should pay him. Like Julio Jones, for example, I think that the Titans did a really good job getting him because I mean, they gave up what a second for a guy that's going to be good for three to four more years, three more years. And if, even if he like take, he just becomes shit after that, right. You get three years of high level wide receiver play for that. And then, Maybe he turns into late, um, like Larry Fitzgerald, who was just like a pretty solid to good receiver in the slot in a very like complimentary role after that. And like do Jones can do that because he's still going to be big. He's still going to be a good receiver and he's still pretty technically sound. Um, there's some things his body and his athleticism allows him to do that. You just can't normally do for other receivers. But guys like that, guys like Stephon Diggs, guys like Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins are still valuable. They're still very valuable. You you want to pay them that second contract because their longevity is a little bit longer than running backs and stuff. And um, I'm a big fan of just paying good football players. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, I just think that what this is kind of saying is like those wide receiver twos and threes, guys like Jarvis Landry, guys like um, John Brown for the Bills, he's gone now, but that's an example. Um, guys like that are a little bit more replaceable just because there's a lot more guys that are good. Um, while those elite guys are still very, very bad. It's pretty similar to running back. Like, you still want an elite running back. Guys like Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, CMC. Like, those guys are still very valuable. And I don't care what people say. People say, no, they're not. You can get anybody to run, do what they do. And you really can't if you want to just look at it. But you can get replacement-level stuff pretty easily from those guys just because there's so much talent at the position. I think that's very similar to the picture of wide receiver.
0: I quickly want to, you know, just jump into – you know, flashback to the 2018 when really Nick Foles led the Philadelphia Eagles all the way to to the Super Bowl, not knocking off Tom Brady. A lot of those weapons, Nick Foles didn't really have the hardcore weapons throughout the postseason. So would you agree that it is really important? For example, the Dolphins, you know, their their main wideout threats, Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, now and now you factor in Will Will Fuller. How important is it for Tua Tanavarloa to have all these three weapons? healthy for now a 17-game NFL season coming up.
2: Give me just one second to look at the roster. I'm trying to remember who the receivers were. It feels so long ago after this oh, long, long year.
1: It's uh, Devonte Parker, Preston Williams, Jalen Waddle was the first-round pick, Waddle. Albert Wilson. You can throw in Jakeem Grant's name in there, and then you have Lynn Bowden, Lynn Bowden Jr.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at the Eagles one from 2017 to see kind of the weapons they had. That's kind of what i meant sorry to like confuse you there i kind
1: yeah, of know the guy. all jeffrey nelson yeah.
2: lord they didn't have really a great receiver core yeah. if 2017 was the year right they won the i mean but they had a really really a good defense sure. too <laughs> let's talk about it. they had a really really good fit brandon graham uh, fletcher cox was at the height of his power they had pretty decent um secondary with malcolm jenkins rodney mcleod wasn't too bad and ronald darby and jalen mills were playing above replacement level but I mean, overall, I mean, I think that was just first off the quarterback got hot, like a guy got hot. He was playing out of his mind. That kind of just shows how hot streaks work in the NFL. Hot streaks last for games, not just like not just one game like the NBA, because there's so less like so many less attempts. It's kind of weird. It's There's such smaller, less much, much smaller sample size in the NFL compared to the NBA sometimes. And so you see guys get hot for longer periods of time just because that's how the game works. It's a little bit weird that way. But I mean, overall Ashawn, Jeffrey, Nelson, Agar, Tori Smith as his three guys in Zach Ertz was actually good back then so um, I don't think his weapons were bad but I do agree he didn't have that pre- premier number one receiver and I think you can win like that like I think it's possible I just think those number one guys are still valuable just because of what they bring like state of mind wise for a quarterback right you're a quarterback you it's third and seven you you know you have a guy that gets open you don't have to really scan the field you can just drop back you're like oh my guy's gonna be open because he's one of the best in the league like you have Devontae Adams like I you can't imagine what that does even if Aaron Rodgers is a top tier quarterback just having that guy that always gets open extremely valuable because you know he's going to be open you know he's an option unless it's like against Jalen Ramsey but even then Devontae Adams can at least win sometimes against Jalen Ramsey so I just think having that guy there is just valuable like even from just a mental capacity for that team and Nelson Aguilar has been kind of barring the drops he was he's not a bad receiver like you saw what he did in Oakland this year like what he does, he's a, he's a really good slot threat. And like when he's catching the ball, like he has some drop problems and stuff. I do think drops are kind of overrated overall, but you want your guy to catch the ball. And I think that that team wasn't bad, but I do think the Dolphins, um, since you want to be more specific to them, I think they do have a good set of receivers. And while they don't have a true number one right now, I think that guys like um, Will Fuller can really step into that role because I love what he does as a field stretching threat. He was usually the second field to the DeAndre Hopkins, but like when he was like, the guy for a little bit, he can be really good just because of what he does stretching the field. He does have a drop issue, but like once again, when you're catching 10 touchdowns a year, like the drops are okay. I can deal with like, I can deal with a couple of drops if you're catching deep bombs all year.
1: Well, don't talk about drops with these Dolphins fans because they absolutely hoard Jakeem Grant a lot on it too. But to your point about having a number one wider super for Miami, did come out with an article detailing that currently, right now, it is Will Fuller, the fifth. Currently it is right now, but depending on how his contract goes, if he stays just for maybe this one season or they extend him, in the future, I do see see it being Jalen Waddle because he could potentially be that guy. But let's go on to the point over an overvalued asset to an undervalued asset. Safeties, and this is is coming from uh, Devin Jackson on Twitter for those of you who might follow and know him. He says, safeties, especially being drafted are largely undervalued and often are underdrafted and extremely good free safety is so much more valuable than I think the league views it right now. And that's from Nick Farber. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, I agree with this. I love good safety play. Um, guys like Trevon Moore, he's not a free safety, but as an example, um, Jesse Bates with the Bengals, for example, like these guys are super valuable and they're pretty underrated overall. I and mean, when we see what guys like Ed Reed and, um, what's his name? The guy that did crazy things with his brother when he was at the Ravens. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Earl Thomas. Um, <laughs> recent memories, right? But um, Earl Thomas, Ed Reed, um, guys like that at free safety, just really range in the back end, really help your defense just be sound from the back forward, right? And today's passing league, you a know, league where there's right now, there's a lot of one high. There's a lot of one high cover three type stuff, just because the Bill Belichick and the Patriots did it so well. And we're gonna see a little bit more of a return to two high, I think, with Brandon Staley and what he's done. But I mean, look at the Dolphins, for example. They run a lot of one high just because of how they like to play their defense and stuff. Is it like they love they love their athletic athletes at corner and they love being able to do work from the back end up? So I just think that um having that really good free safety especially in a one high driven league right now is fantastic because he needs to be able to range most of the field if he's covering third if he's covering just the deep deep field as a whole and cover one if he's rotating over just having that guy that can really range across the field go grab the ball affect passes from hash to hash from from sideline to sideline is really really valuable because it just gives you a little bit more freedom You know, a little more freedom to run, more cover one, a little more freedom to run cover. Like hell, if you can play man coverage, run cover zero, maybe blitz a little bit more, be more creative. So I think just having that guy in the back end that's really reliable, he doesn't have to be a superstar, but really reliable is, is a little bit underrated right now. You can kind of see in the pay scale, um guys like certain guys certain positions getting paid more but i do think that especially in the draft which i agree with Devin jackson we do underrate a good safety a lot i mean i think part of that is just reactionary to this year's draft when the safety class was not very good i don't think it was a very good to i think we're going to see a guy like kyle hampton next year go really high just because he brings everything all around and we tend to like those all-around guys a little more than your traditional free safety but i do think that a good free safety can be pretty undervalued at times
1: So Miami drafted Javon Holland and during on a couple of the presses, coach Gerald Alexander mentioned that Javon Holland is, you know, playing some reps at free safety and he's learning the playbook to play free safety. However, the Miami Dolphins did bring in Jason McCourty over from the Patriots and it looks like he might be switching from corner to that back end safety role and Miami did release Bobby McCain. What are your thoughts on Miami bringing in McCourty and Holland to play that free safety
2: role? Holland's pretty surprising to me. Uh, when I watched him in college, I really thought he was more of an, a slot corner, nickel safety, like in the overhang kind of guy. He's really good against the run. He's pretty good in man, good in learning to zones. I don't think he's really rangy enough to play the deep, deep, excuse me, deep, like deep third, deep, deep middle of the field guy. But I mean, if they see that, like if they think they can do that, I think they can coach him up on that. Then I think he's got the feel for the game that you really want back there. But I think they bring in Jason McCordy to really play that role mostly, if he's going to transition from corner to safety. Um, because I'm a, I know his brother, Devin, did it really good. So I mean, they're twins, so who knows. But um, <laughs> I do think that that's probably more likely than Javon Holland, just because I don't think Javon Holland has that range. I've been wrong before, could be wrong here um he's uh he's a really talented he's really good in man coverage really talented against the run which is one of my favorite parts of javon holland's game and um, i do really think
1: i do think that brings to the patriots role of how patrick Chung, Chung played in New and i do think he might be that type of player for mine
2: i could see that too matching up with tight ends and stuff i think I'm trying to remember how big he is i think he's only like six foot but i mean if he's if he's physical enough which i think he can't be i think he can cover those tight ends for the most part unless he's going against like maybe Travis Kelsey or something like that. But that's an elite guy that not many people can cover. So um, overall, I just do think that I'm not sure about Javon Holland in that role, just because of how he played in college. He didn't really do much of it in college. He was definitely more of an in the box or um, overhang kind of guy, roll down guy that played a lot of man, played a lot of underneath zones. And when he was asked to play deep, like a deep half or something, he was all right, but he wasn't great. He definitely um, was a little less rangy back
0: there, but he definitely
2: definitely has the ball skills. Like he's, he's he gets the ball, so I can see where they can see that appeal
0: there. So, athletic players with length that aren't on the path to being an elite receiver should transition into playing corner sooner rather than later. How? What are your overall thoughts on on that, Zach? Um, I agree. I think that's I
2: this. I remember seeing a tweet from Jordan Reed in this kind of, um, it didn't inspire the take, but it was kind of along the same lines where he's saying he was at a camp for like high school camp. Um, and I believe it was the one where we saw that Arch Archie Manning throw or whatever his name is, like where he twirled the ball in his hand and we we're all like, holy shit, this guy's QB1 from a camp throw. But um, he saw there was 304 receivers and 42 cornerbacks. And if you want to, and he said in the tweet, he's like, Jordan was like, if you want to get recruited, play corner they need them and i think i agree you see that disparity a little bit in the nfl um the floor and ceiling at corner is a lot lower than the floor and ceiling well the ceiling's the same right there's elite corners Jalen ramsey stefan gilmore um tredavius white those guys are really good but the amount of them is a lot less yeah that's that one right there that tweet right there. just showing it was yeah 43 to 306 like it's a very very like big difference in the amount of that camp and um as he says it's part of the seven on seven age right like we're all we all grow up playing seven on seven in high school and stuff and you see these seven on seven camps and these seven on seven teams everyone wants the ball in their hands everyone wants to play receiver nobody wants to play corner anymore and it's the harder position if i'm going to be real here i mean i've played both i you played safety in college but i played both corner and receiver and corner is the harder position that's why part of the reason i love them more it's so much more technically um technically difficult it's so much more you have to be so much more patient have better eyes good hips you have to play everything backwards like it's a really hard position And that's one of the reasons like it's one of the top top three probably top three hardest positions in football right behind right up there with quarterback and um offensive tackle i mean offensive tackle is very very difficult as well so um i do think that like it, the, part of the reason we see that disparity is it's a really hard position to get. You see guys put more athletes and people that don't have a ton of experience at wide receiver because they can make a difference there sooner. Um, and I do think that those long, but those long athletic guys that aren't like getting playing time receiver stuff should definitely consider moving to um, wide cornerback. I mean, even running back should think about it too because there's a lot of running backs. We saw Brandon Stevens do it, and Brandon Stevens was—I I just watched his tape the other day. He was, he's,
1: he's from now. Old from um Old Miss, not not Old Miss.
2: Who UCLA and he went to SMU. UCLA yes, went to SMU, and his tape was fun, like just the twitch, the footwork. You see, kind of where that translates. He's not the most physical guy. He's not the—he's um, not the best against the run, which I thought was a little surprising, considering he was a running back. But hey, maybe he didn't want to take those bangs anymore. That's fine. He's a cornerback now. All he needs to do is cover. But um, his tape was really, really fun, and I think that, like, more athletes, more long, big athletes should transition to corners because, first off, you're more likely to get PT at college because there's not as many. Um, you're more likely to get offers. You're more likely to get a chance in the NFL because if you're long and athletic, teams need corners. There's every, CB3 is as important as CB2 right now. like And CB1, too. Yeah, you could argue CB1. But I, I'd argue CB1 is a little more important. You need that lockdown guy nowadays in the NFL. But, like, CB3 is – as is a starter nowadays is a better way to say it. CB3 is a starter. So you need good CB3s. So each team needs needs to be three, four deep at corner right now. Whereas most teams can, and most teams are already three, four deep at wide receiver.
1: And that speaks to the Dolphins philosophy too. You can never have too many corners. And you mentioned, I think I can name a couple of people too, who transferred from wide receiver to corner in college, Caleb Farley and Noe Yeah, they both did
2: it another one that did it and it's looking to be in the draft this year is darion kendrick he's with georgia yes. now he's an example of that as well and he was going to be and uh
1: yeah. derrick jr it looks like he might actually play both receiver and corner which this I'm year. i'm gonna have
2: fun watching because Derek Stingley's is really good Me the too. only guy he ever struggled against was devonta smith which is also a devonta smith tweet because he's fantastic but um yeah derrick Stingley's is fun what he did as a freshman at lsu is unheard of. I don't know how Bo Nicks won that freshman of the year award over him. But, um, yeah, like, Derek Stingley's fun. They also got another guy. I can't remember his name right now. Um, it's, like, it's Eli Stokes or something like that. I don't think it's Stokes. But um, he is – or Eli Ricks or something like that for LSU. He's another good corner for them that I've seen some people start talking about. So, they have some good corners on LSU. But, yeah, I do, like, go back to the original point. Guys from that wide receiver that just aren't – maybe aren't getting PT, maybe just aren't, like – Maybe even if they're getting PT, if they want a real chance in the NFL, sometimes you just got to transition to corner and you kind of see that like recently. I think,
1: uh, I think since we're still on the topic of cornerback, Brennan, you have another take you want to ask him?
0: Yeah. So according to a tweet from real Corey Chinon, he says that the cornerback is the second most valuable position in football. Do you you 110%? I would agree with you. Yep, that. right behind offensive line. No, but that's what that was my response to this week. But
2: um <laughs> I like I definitely can see that. I'm as a coverage over pass rush guy, I'm a fan of it. Um I can see why people would value maybe edge rushers or offensive line more. I probably tend to lean offensive line a little bit over. I think corners number three, I'd probably go. Um,
0: I mean just offensive
2: line in general. You need good offensive linemen period at the end. But um, I'd probably go QB, offensive line, and um, then corner for me. So i would probably be three. But definitely, I can see where a world where um, CB is um, number two on that list, just because like you need, like I said, you need four of them. You need four good ones up right now in the NFL because people are going to go four wide. They're going to go eleven personnel. So tight end that's more like a receiver. Look at Kyle Pitts. <laughs> look at Darren Waller. Look at Travis Kelsey. He lines up an X most of the time. Mike Geske,
1: like, soon to be the next tight yeah. end in line too. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like him, Dallas Goddard, like those guys. George Kittle is an example. He lines up a little more in line. He's more of your traditional tight end. But um, yeah, that's just, that's just a position where you need guys of all shapes and sizes. It's very similar to wide receiver where you want a basketball team at that spot. Um, you want guys, your quick, your fast point guard types. You want your um, small forward types, your kind of do it all. And then you kind of want your big body types to go against your um bigger receivers. I tend to like lean like more the small forward. I like to play small ball with my corners. If I'm a if I'm a GM or something like that, I like to play small ball. I like them fast. I like them quick. I like them to be a little feisty there. So um, but yeah, you just I can see where like the cornerback, especially considering the lack of talent there, can be the second most dying position in football. I can see an argument for that.
1: So I tend to agree with this take and um i've seen it too a couple times on tape the get off is the most important thing you can coach a defensive lineman and the hands don't matter if the feet are bad explain this to our listeners
2: um so this is mostly just for me watching guys like pete jenkins and stuff um pete jenkins defensive line coach he was defensive line coach for lsu Bama, lsu under Nick's name at bama for a bit um he was at mississippi state he's the eagles one of the most famous defensive um, line coaches ever? Probably one of the best position coaches of all time. He's up there, at least in that top ten, um, for my argument. This is a little side. Dante Scarnecchia, best position coach of all time for the um, Patriots. Um, he kind of helped shape that dynasty for a long time, like under the radar. But, anyways, back to this. Um, really, just there's been a couple of clinics I've watched, a couple of videos where people say, "Hey, the reason the the biggest reason for sacks in the NFL is to get off." Like, if you can just beat your guy to the edge, you're going to win the rep, probably, and then the hands afterwards, and the hands and the feet afterwards are what come, but if you can't get off the ball quick enough, you're going to really struggle, and that's why we see guys like our superb athletes get drafted high, Odafe Owe got drafted high, I mean, I, he's an interesting take, I actually kind of like this tape, surprisingly, because he's, even though he's so raw, but, um, Oduf, Oduf, Owe got drafted high. We saw the dude from BYU that got drafted from the Lions. I can't remember his name.
1: Iris Tonga?
2: No, no, that's 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 that was um, an idea. I'm talking – this is a couple drafts ago. Um, he went from oh, 20 okay. to BYU, got drafted by the Lions. Um, he was their edge guy for a while. He was super raw coming out, but he just – he was explosive as all hell. Um, Jalen Phillips got drafted high despite the injuries due to that athleticism and overall polish. But um, you got just the feet are first because if your feet are bad, if you don't have good feet, if you can't flip your hips, like the, if the lower half isn't good, the hands don't matter because you can swing your hands and get hands off all the time. But if you're not getting around the guy because you got loose hips or you got good feet, the guy's just going to put his hands back on you. Like, so if you don't have that get off, if you don't get that edge, if you don't put that lineman in a bad position, then it really doesn't matter what you do with your hands. So I mean I've heard some people say hands are important. And I agree. If you want you want to get hands, you want to have violent, intentional hands as a D lineman, but I think get off is the most important thing you can coach. And it's coachable. Like a lot of some of it's God given talent. But um it is definitely coachable to be efficient with your steps and be like very um Very like perceptive and efficient and like intentional with how you do how you work your get off and stuff, so it's definitely something you can work on for sure. And it's definitely if you're a young defensive lineman out there, you better start working on that get off, focusing on it now because that's going to get you offers, that's going to get you a chance at the next level.
1: So, I'll combine this question and uh Brandon's question since we have a little bit of uh time left, so we'll combine these two questions. They're both the offensive line. Four decent to above average offensive linemen is better than one elite offensive lineman, and the center position should have a higher positional value than it does.
2: So, for the center position, one, I agree. I think it does. I think they're really kind of the center of that hole. And if you can't get the snap right, then nothing else really matters, right? So, we saw that in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with the Broncos. Um, but like if you can't get the snap right, if you don't have a good center who's communicating with everybody, getting those line calls right, kind of directing traffic for the most part, first off, it puts a ton of pressure on your quarterback to recognize, identify pressures and, um and organize the offensive line. So if you don't have an offensive lineman doing that, you saw it with Jeff Saturday and the Colts and Peyton Manning, you see it nowadays with good centers. So like if you don't have a good center, it really puts a lot more pressure on your um, thing. And then I'd, they'd have to be above average for me to agree with this. You want, you, elite all or just like, it's an elite alignment. you want them. Like, I, it's just a weird, a little bit of a weird take to me to say four decent guys, because decent guys aren't going to be able to do well against above average to great guys. So if you have four above average guys, above average guys versus one, just one elite, and you had to trade four for one, I'd take the four just because they're all above average, right? But if they're four decent guys for one average, one, one elite guy, I can get four more decent guys. Like, I can get four more decent guys, so I'm going to take the elite guy, so... That's kind of the thing. Like, I think there's a difference between decent and above average, and I think that with that take, there's that's the line you draw there.
0: So I have a weird theory that playing and practicing piano would actually help a player get better at catching a football. That I don't think anybody would really take ser- seriously. So what do you? I mean, what?
2: This is my take. So yeah, this was my take. And this is legit. I was on YouTube one day, just scrolling through YouTube. And this is, and I do this sometimes when I'm like, I'm watching film and I'm just like, all right, I need it. I need my eyes to take a break. Like I just need to reset real quick. I'll scroll YouTube. And I found this dude playing the piano. and he's doing like this weird thing where he just like, he just plays like fucking like popular music on the piano and shit. And I'm watching him do this in his hands, just fucking all over the place. So quick, like this fit, like, like it's just all over the place. And I just, in my brain, I'm just like, I feel like this was helping catch the football, right? Cause like, it's a lot of it's finger based like really good catches of football. OBJ is one of the guys with the best hand in the league. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins and all these guys, they catch the ball with their fingers, right? And I'm thinking like the better, the more dexterous your fingers it fingers are, the quicker they can move the hand speed and just the hand-eye coordination. I feel like if you practice piano vigorously, it can really help you catch the football. And it's kind of a theory there. And while there's probably, there definitely is more efficient ways to get better at the fo- uh, catching a football, it was just something that popped in my head. Like, huh, that guys that can play the piano well, you know, with practice could probably catch a football well too. Like just, just, I mean, understand if you just took them out there and you start throwing, chucking a football hundred miles per hour, at them, they're probably not going to catch it because they don't have experience doing that. But if a guy who has experience catching a football starts practicing the piano a lot and gets really good at piano, then I feel like that would help them catch the football. It's kind of just like a big brain, like kind of random theory that I had. Yeah. Yeah, like I just felt like I feel like there's some parallels there that while it's not exactly the same, it would help build those skills that make people that include in catch a football better at catching football. So it's not something if you want to, if you're bad at catching a football and you want to catch a want to get better, don't start practicing the piano because you just need to need to catch a football first, but if you're Good at catching a football, and you want to get great. I feel like piano could help you, and it's just an example. There's definitely quicker, better, more efficient ways to do it. So don't like take that as gospel, but I feel like it's definitely one way that you can get better in practice without really being vigorous on your body, right? It's more vigorous on your mind. First off, you're just you're just. It also helps you just with your eyes, right? And you're like and your ability to know where your hands are going. So it's just it's really it's a really interesting thing that I just thought was kind of interesting, and I don't really think. NFL players will do or like elite athletes will do to get better at catching the football because I think the best way to get better at catching football is just practice it but I just I think it was just something interesting that I thought
0: of. So Sam, if I'm if I'm head coach Brian Flores am I am I inducting pianos inside of the locker room this up this upcoming season or what? I mean why not anything to get better right anything to get better um honestly though but like anyways like
2: a better way to do it would be tennis balls i mean i've seen plenty of tennis ball drills that would really help with that yeah, I'll, I'll in reality so really good job
0: with that That's yeah so like i don't i
2: don't think they will do pianos it's kind of just a big brain theory they're like like hey you guys, like if a guy plays piano i would be interested to see if he could catch a football well or if like a nfl player who plays the piano does catch the ball well just like it was just like a thought that i had that was just like huh you know, the, some of those skills are translatable. So, and I'm sure you could do that. Plenty of other sports, like you see it with sports all the time, like like in hockey, like the the fluidity required in the hips to play defense in hockey would be really good as say a linebacker in the NFL, just because the way they skate and the way they play defense, you have to flip your hips consistently so much. And they're so fluid with that and a lot of that ice helps with that and stuff but a lot of that's the hip and core strength that would really translate well to the nfl um soccer the footwork that would translate really well to like defensive back or um or wide receiver probably mostly wide receiver because they don't move backward as much in bat in um soccer um basketball just uh, um we see it with quarterbacks right Drew, um, tony Romo was a really really good basketball player a really good point guard and part of, and that probably helped him diagnose things on the field really function on the go move really well he was really good he was a really good um he's really good in the pocket but he was also really good on the move and really good like um like what's the word i'm looking for here processing things while things were kind of going crazy so i think that's just an i think piano is just another example of things where th- something's not really football but it translates the skills might translate the football well, Andrew.
0: before we before we wrap up today's show, you know, Zach, we really want to uh, thank you for uh, jump for jumping on today's show. Um, it was definitely a, a a pleasure getting your thoughts and getting your overall perspective on the uh, different questions we asked. So we appreciate it as always. Absolutely, thank you, man. I
2: appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk ball. And before,
0: and, also, and I was going to say, well, if you can provide fans with your you know personal social media accounts to where we can you know we can reach Zachary up.
2: Uh, yeah, so um, you can find me at all 22 underscore addict on Twitter, um, I do Twitch every once in a while on the same thing all 22 underscore addict. I've been kind of inconsistent, but I'm working on getting better at that. Um, and then yeah, that's where you can find most of my stuff.
0: And then yeah, most anything else I share on there is always on Twitter. So perfect. And uh, Sam, as always, I, uh, I uh, want to thank you for, for being an amazing host slash pro host,
1: of course, and wait before we go, I want to say something. What what Zach said about the piano thing and fans are gonna be listening to this, they're gonna be telling Jakeem Grant to play the piano after <laughs> practice is over. Why
0: are we all, why are we always throwing shade at, at it, it's just and a known quantity? To, it's known. We have to we you know what would be really amazing if we can somehow get Jakeem Grant to jump on, on, on one of our Oh, ours. he's gonna hate it. He's gonna hate it. I don't know if he's ever gonna wanna to speak to us ever again. <laughs> oh, but no gosh. seriously man thank you Zach as always Sam thank you guys and thank you guys everyone really for tuning into today's second episode of the Back to Campus series I'm Brandon Ligori you've listened to Asam Patel and Zachary Garden. fins up everybody